Hello, my name is Dustin Hosseini, and this is the Digital Education Practices Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sandra Nolte and Stephen Young. And would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Uh, maybe Sandra? Yes, Dustin, thank you. Hello, everyone. So my name is Sandra Nolte, and I'm working at Lancaster University Management School in the Accounting and Finance Department. So to put a little bit those things into context, I'm the Program Director of the MSc Finance, of the MSc Accounting and Financial Management, and the MSc Quantitative Finance. And basically, I'm teaching at MSc level subjects like quantitative finance, financial econometrics, so everything which is quantitatively related. That's a little bit about my background, and I guess Stephen can tell you something about him too. Okay, thanks, Sandra, and uh, hi, Dustin. Uh, my name's Steve Young. I'm a colleague of Sandra's at Lancaster University Management School. I'm professor of accounting, teach financial reporting, and uh, I also program director for our, our fourth MSc program in accounting and finance. That's our MSc in advanced financial analysis, which uh, embeds part of the CFA syllabus, CFA levels one and two, which is a professional qualification along with an academic master's degree. Perfect. And I think today you're going to talk about uh, designing online exams and online teaching material for dissertations. Is that right? That's right. And uh, probably a bit broader than that, because we were we were sort of forced into the need to start to deliver a digital material as a result of, um, of the COVID-19 circumstances, which hit right at the end of our second academic semester. So we were just going into exams for modules. And then as soon as those exams were completed, we were going into the dissertation phase of our master's program. And so we were really dealing with two challenges. One, how we deliver uh, exams for regular modules online. And then secondly, how we deliver our dissertation online. And to give some context, we're dealing with about 250 master's students in total. So it's quite big numbers, but they're also premium fee students. So they pay a lot of money and they expect a high quality product. And so being able to deliver um, something that works digitally, but also maintain quality was was quite important. Okay. And, And how did you kind of go about that, given the crisis and the rapid switch? pivot online as some people are calling it um sandra do you want do you want to say something about the exams yes i can start with the exams so but we we need to mention that what we have done for our online exams might only be relevant in lancaster so somehow it might be guidelines for some other universities but it's not something which is how to say homogeneous around the uk it was just designed in our department and somehow fit for purpose because well As Steve mentioned, the university stopped face-to-face teaching, I guess, in the last week of the term, and we had our exams running two weeks later, so we needed to act fast and we needed to come up with some kind of solution, knowing that although we have 250 students all together, they were not all sitting in Lancaster anymore. So some of them went home during those two weeks, and home means basically students sitting all over the world, in Asia, in Africa. So somehow we had to make sure that if we are delivering an exam online, everyone can access it, everyone can download it, everyone can send it back on time. And that was actually, I guess, at the beginning, the main challenge that we had to try to figure out what is feasible and also 
how to actually, how much time do you give them, how you actually reduce cheating, because, well, you don't have them sitting in a room anymore where you see what they are doing. And I guess that is, that was some of the biggest challenge we had at the beginning, regardless of the infrastructure and all the, the rest. If I'm right, Steve? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And our, uh, af- af- after a quite a lot of sort of thinking about how to how to go about this and for context we are inexperienced um in this so it's not like we come to this with a lot of theory around digital pedagogy so we're we're inexperienced and so after reviewing the options that were available we both came to the conclusion didn't we sandra that it was um simplicity seemed to be the key and so there were there were you know lots of opportunities to maybe deliver a digital assessment in in quite a fancy way and it looked great and sounded great but there was a lot of scope for disaster um particularly around connectivity because a lot of the digital assessment methods that we looked at were reliant on students being connected throughout the assessment so that might be connected for two and a half hours plus and we couldn't really rely on that given that some of our students were based in pretty remote locations and and so our uh, our approach was as pretty as simple as you can get really is we took the existing assessment instrument we made no changes to it um, and that was partly because we'd already um, we'd already written our exam papers and to rewrite an exam paper for a digital setting was was a pretty time-consuming activity we would have had had to go back to our external examiners and we just didn't have time for that. So we took the existing um, assessments and we moved to a digital space by writing up a new set of guidelines on how those assessments could be administered digitally. And the bottom line was that we um, had an assessment window which was longer than the original assessment. Normally, the assessments were two hours. So we increased the assessment window to, was it three hours, Sandra? Yes, exactly. It was three hours. To allow students more more time to cope with the different um, environment, because we were pretty pretty aware that some students were, um, they found it difficult transitioning from a standard assessment method to an online. They were quite worried about it. So we tried to give them more time to allow them to adjust. And then we just had a window where we made the paper available at a starting time point. Students had three hours to complete the paper and they dealt with that paper offline. So they downloaded the paper, they wrote the paper offline, and then they uploaded the paper at the end of the three-hour window. And our logic for that was that it, um, it minimized connectivity risks and the risk that students could say, uh, ex post, that they experienced problems with connectivity and that affected their performance. So we tried to look for a solution that would reduce those problems entirely. The other thing we did is we transitioned from a, a regular closed book assessment style to an open book assessment style. So the three-hour exam, although it was designed, uh, the three-hour exam became an open book exam, although it was originally designed for a closed book exam. And the rationale for doing that was that we couldn't stop students cheating and plagiarizing. If we tried to, 
it was almost certainly going to result in inconsistencies with some students following the rules and some students not following the rules. And so we decided to move to a system that was fair on all students where we gave them all the opportunity to use external resources if they wished. But on the on, on the logic that if a student didn't know where to look and didn't know the materials beforehand, the benefit of having an open book assessment was actually very limited. So we were yes. pre- so we were pretty confident that weak students weren't going to score highly as a consequence of open book because if you don't know the material then you know an open book exam isn't really that much help to you. No, you're exactly right. I remember from school uh, and even from university similar exams and the message was if you didn't know it anyway then open book won't help because you'll be too stressed trying to look for the correct answers. Uh, whereas if you had studied regularly, you know, consistently throughout the term, then you could just kind of, you'd know where to go and where in your notes to look very quickly. That's right. Uh, and so this, this was, this kind of very simplistic approach was what we agreed on. And I think if you look back at what happened, it's actually been very successful. So we've had no student complaints. We've had no fewer students completing the exams than we would normally have in a physical delivery. And if we look at the distribution of marks uh, across the modules, the marks are slightly higher, um, but not that much higher. And crucially, there is still discriminatory power in the mark. So the standard deviation looks pretty similar to what we would expect it to be. So there's a, there's a mean shift upwards in the marks, but there is, the ranking seems to be um, as we might expect had we delivered the exams physically. Okay. Yes. And, uh, and I think the, the secret, I don't know whether we should call it success, but the secret to averting <laughs> complete disaster was that we spent quite a lot of time communicating with the students beforehand about what would happen. And we yes. had several trial runs of sort of mock assessments to make sure that students understood what they would have to do and how they would do it. And I think we found that quite useful in flushing out some issues that we need to deal deal with on our side, but also getting the confidence of students that this system actually worked and they weren't being disadvantaged. Okay. Yes, it also allowed us actually to identify students who didn't have that online access, Mm. actually. So meaning our exams were posted on Moodle and they should have been downloaded from the Moodle site, but we identified some of our students unable to do that, given where they were living, and then we simply emailed them the exam on the day at the time where it was available on Moodle. They were emailed at the same time and that worked perfectly well too. Okay, so that was one of my questions. So in terms of student welfare, what did you do to uh, think about these issues or plan ahead? I guess to, su- to support the students also during the exams, what we created too was a Teams group. So every single every single module had a had a Teams group assigned to it. So Microsoft Teams for every single Microsoft yeah. Teams exactly. So that if there is any issue during the exam, meaning one related to the exam paper itself, a question which was unclear or not, we always had the module director available during the three hours of the exam so that he can answer those questions or he or she can answer the questions directly but also our professional services staff to help in case there is a technical trouble that we can act relatively quickly by sending out the information per email or so forth. Meaning there was a team behind also or a group of people every single morning 
behind during the time of the exam, sitting there in case there is something happening. And there were barely any any questions, actually. So it went really, really smoothly. But I guess that was more due to the fact that they they knew what to expect. So it wasn't, we go online and that is new and you are going to discover it on that day. It was really trying during the two weeks we had to, before the first exam was running, to get as much communication out in order for them to understand what is going on, basically. And I remember you saying that you identified some students, actually, they didn't have access to the internet or maybe they had perhaps potential connectivity issues. So this is another reason why you chose to have an exam released that they could quickly download without having to be connected online for the full two or three hours, right? Exactly. Because somehow our ma- our major problem is if we, we, we know that we, we have students. So during the trial that we had the week before, we also asked where they were. Mm. Just to have an idea of, of where we are where we are standing with them, and so it went down to I don't know I'm sitting in a rural location in China, for example, or I'm sitting somewhere in a small village in I have no idea in the middle of nowhere basically, and I do not have internet access. I do not have a reliable internet access, and basically this is. Why at that point of time we decided we, we need also a backup. We cannot expect every single student being able to connect it to Moodle on that time and be able to download the, the exam at that particular point in time. And this is why we had those tri- trials to actually identify them. Because if they couldn't do it a week before or three days before, they wouldn't be able to download anything on the day of the exam. And knowing how stressful that is for a student, somehow we, we tried actually to, to create a safety net behind to, to make everything run quite quite smoothly. So, so, yeah, so just following up on that, Dustin, we, we'd identified a few students who were having download problems. So when an exam started for those students, our administrator emailed the exam paper rather than expecting the student to download it. Right. And also there were a couple of cases where... Once the, once the exam started, students started to experience download problems. And so they were just able to quickly email our, our program administrator and ask for the exam to be emailed. And so that issue was resolved in a couple of minutes and, and the student didn't lose any time as a consequence. So it seems like, well, from what I'm understanding, student welfare was absolutely central to this entire process working. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it is worth saying that we've had the conversation about how to administer exams with our colleagues on the undergraduate side. Our experiences being that the undergraduate process is, seems to be much, much more sort of regulated than the postgraduate setting. And what works for us in a postgraduate setting was deemed by the university not to be meeting EDI requirements in a UG setting. So I think an important lesson of this is that you know what what might work in one setting where there's a little bit more flexibility may not work in another setting where where, where the rules are a little bit more restrictive. So in terms of EDI, that's equality, diversity, inclusivity. Did they mention any specifics that so, you might talk about? Yeah. So at the undergraduate level, they were they were particularly concerned about students with um, any sort of impediment or disability or connectivity problems being 
being potentially disadvantaged. And so the way my understanding that they've resolved this on the undergraduate program is it's not it's it's not a timed paper in a normal sense. So students get a full 24 hours to work on the paper. Right. And the view there is that that minimizes any any potential risk that a student will be disadvantaged. Um, and, and we can understand that approach entirely. The way we looked at this issue was that we'd communicated with the students up front to identify whether students believed there would be any problems and whether they would be disadvantaged. And if that, and that w- there were a couple of cases, weren't there, Sandra, where we identified we'd already got students on record as as requiring adjustments to the exam process. So, w- so we just extended that normal adjustment process in an online setting. Exactly. We took that all into account. So somehow it's not saying we went online and we disregarded them. It was just looking at what the impairment is, what, how we can help them to make that work. And then we just put that into place to, to help them do those, those kind of, of online exams. Maybe I, I have no idea. And it's, it's not something which we, we had here or might be them writing on a piece of paper and taking a picture if they are unable to type. Basically. Mm, okay. or, yeah, or giving them more time. Well, you know, the normal sorts of adjustments you would do if in, in a physical yes. exam setting where you've got a student who, who required some adjustments to normal exam procedures. Exactly. And just, just quickly to kind of wrap up this section. So basically, you opened the exam at a specific time, say 2 p.m., and they had until 5 p.m. to uh, write the exam and then return it back to you. Just, just quickly, how did they return that back to you? So that was, that was returned so, back. They uploaded to the Moodle site. Okay. Or where students experience problems with upload, they emailed it to the program administrator. Okay. And our, exp- our experience was that about 95% of students were able to up- download and upload the exam without any problems. We had a few students where the exam needed to be emailed out to them and they needed to email their solutions back. And did they type out their answers? Did they handwrite their answers and take pictures of them? Sandra, do you want to explain that? Because we we had quite a lot of discussion about this. Yes. So, meaning in in our MSCs, we have quite different kind of modules. So, some modules which are more quantitatively oriented and some modules which, well, are less quantitatively oriented, if I can express Mm -hmm. myself like that. So, somehow... Putting, putting it differently, it goes from an exam where there is basically an equation at every, in every single line of the solution to something when two exams which are just pieces of assi- assessment, essays, basically. So meaning to try to, to get a, a balance between all of, all of these kind of, of type of exams or a type of questions. What we did was actually to allow students to write equations on a piece of paper handwritten on a piece of paper because there is no way that if you have never typed in equations in a software regardless of what the software is if it is word or latex which is more more specialized in writing equations in the software you are not quick and you are going to lose a lot of time and that was something at the beginning that bothered our students a lot so what we decided to do is to simply allow them for all the for all the exams that we have if there is always um, a quantitative bit where they need to write equations, they should write them on a piece of paper and take a picture of the piece of paper and then upload it with their mm-hmm. file, with their work file later on. And that worked, worked actually pretty well out. So somehow there was no complaint about that. 
The pictures are clear. You can see what they wrote on. They are clearly labeled. That is something we, we made sure at the beginning to say to them, we need as a, a marker to understand where the equation fits in your document. So it's not simply writing them down, but also signposting them back to the text you are typing you are typing in, actually, and that, that worked pretty well for, for all the exams that we had. So all in all, on reflection, uh, would you do this again? And would you perhaps have more open book exams in this format? Uh, that, your, question have two, your question has two answers, actually. The first one is, yes, we are going to redo it again for the receipts that we have in August to be fair with our students, because we cannot change the way how we, are, how we are assessing them between April and September, basically. And I guess the other side of the answer is probably no. We would design, we would not simply take the closed book exam and make it an open book in the future. So if you know that you are going to have an online exam and you know that you are six months ahead of that, well, you might be able to design an exam in a way that is an open book exam and not the way how we dealt with that issue, having only two weeks time to find a solution. I don't know what your view is of that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Sandra. Um, There's a difference between finding a a short-term solution to a problem and designing in digitally administered assessment. And, And we did not have time to design in digitally administered assessment methods. If we, if we had that time, and we may well have that time next year, because we suspect that many of our modules will be delivered online in 2021 academic year, then I think we'd look at a very different assessment method. No, of course. But it sounds like from what I've heard, and from what you've told me that actually, even though there was a kind of an urgent need to quickly do this online, you did it in a very thoughtful and critical way that satisfied uh, the kind of students in terms of welfare, but also delivery. And well, as you've shown from your kind of marks, even uh, it was similar to what they would have done, just slightly higher, of course, because it's an open book test. Mm-hmm. So we would expect that. Yeah, I think the the maybe the lesson that comes out of what we did that is uh, is more generalizable than than the specific choices we made is the lesson to design a method with the students being participating in the design so that mm, they okay. so that they understand what is happening and they have a chance to flag up areas where they think there might be uh, inequality or where they perceive it not to be fair so that you can have a dialogue with students as, as part of the design to reassure them or take their concerns into account so that they're reflected in the design and then once you've got a design that you think is uh, is acceptable then you make sure that you test that design in a safe space where it gives students an opportunity to acclimatize to the different methods and make mistakes without being penalized and i think those two things were were the key to the success rather than the specific exam design that we used i think the key to success was that we engaged with our students and and we tried to limit their anxiety yes and so you you took kind of a a bottom-up and a top-down approach by making it collaborative in nature, I guess. That, that's exactly right. Yes, yes. And actually, some of the some of the comments and insights that our students gave us back were, were really quite useful and things we hadn't thought about. 
Okay. So that process added quite a lot of value. Good. And and it's value not just for yourselves as educators, but also maybe the program longer term, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Because, you know, these unusual circumstances are flushing out issues that we'd not really thought about before, but that may be there in some format in normal circumstances. Um, It's just that they are perhaps at a lower level, they affect a a smaller proportion of students and therefore to think about these things is is actually very useful when it comes to um when it comes to module design more generally i think there's general lessons to be learned even if the delivery is not in a digital space yes yes okay sandra do you have anything further to add yourself no i i agree i agree with with steve the, the key word is communication communication and communication so meaning it's it's not somehow trying to hide things from the students because otherwise they are never going to go with the flow so somehow you know it's basically new territory for all of us at the moment so we, as you mentioned at the beginning we never had done that before and somehow no one really had done that before and there was no real how to say guidelines of what we should do how we should do it and somehow if at that point of time you do not communicate with the students they are just simply going to not collaborate later on meaning in especially for the size of the course we are talking about so somehow you know it's not dealing with 20 where you can actually somehow with a lot of goodwill at later on trying to convince them it is having a group of 250 plus and if they are not willing to do Mm. anything anymore it's quite difficult to get them doing anything because well if one complains usually a second one starts complaining and then you know it goes through all of them but i guess key was this is what also steve mentioned taking them on board taking their thoughts and as you go along meaning not not trying to say that is how we are going to do it but maybe saying that that is how we think doing it and trying to identify the troubles up front was really, really, really helpful in what we have done in my Mar- end of March, basically. Yes, you're reaching out to your students and keeping in touch with them, but also including them in the process probably helped a lot of the anxieties. It did help a lot of the anxieties, actually. And in the end, you did get them all on board. And this is something I try to stress to uh, lecturers when they're trying new things or wish to try new things or risky things, for example. I try to get them to sell it to the students effectively, but also to see what the students would think about that. And they tend to uh, they tend to open up. But once they start to open up, you know, you can get actually quite a lot from them as far as how they think things might go or not go. Yeah, I think that's very important, Dustin, is that it's, it's easy for academics to lose sight of what it's like to be a student and and the anxieties around being a student and things that we take as being obvious for us and of course this is how we do it because it doesn't you know it doesn't need explaining it so obvious that when you put yourself in the shoes of a student it's less obvious and and it's more disconcerting particularly when you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty, you know, a setting that you weren't prepared for. Yes. And and so being able to put yourself in the position of a student and think about the anxieties that they may be facing and then talk them through those anxieties and try and explain to them what choices you're making and, and why that is a good choice 
to deal with the problem, I think, is a, is a very useful way of getting students on board. Totally agree. And I think a lot of other colleagues out there would also agree with the, the same sentiments. All right. Well, thank you both, uh, Sandra and Stephen, for joining today. It's been very insightful and useful. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.